All right, good morning. Welcome to the creek. Happy Memorial Weekend. I was thinking just then, what's the movie? You Got Mail. He's like, Happy Thanksgiving. He goes, now you say Happy Thanksgiving back. And she goes, Happy Thanksgiving back. Um, um, no, this is Memorial Weekend. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to reflect on the men and women that have given their lives and who are currently laying their lives in harm's way uh, for us to have the freedoms that we enjoy. And, um, you know, thank the people who are willing to do that. And uh, uh, I would just like, before we get into this teaching, just pray for the men and women in our military. And uh, we'll go on with teaching. Father, we thank you that uh, uh, you uh, have placed us in this nation, that you have given us a responsibility um, not just to bear the, the, the emblem of freedom, but to, to live lives as free through you. And uh, so, Father, we just ask for your uh, protection um, over the men and women who are laying their lives in harm's way for us to have the freedoms that, that we enjoy. Uh, we thank you and honor you first and foremost for laying your life on the line so that we could have a freedom that is truly free and have life that is truly life. And so, Father, that we, um, we just put aside everything and, and uh, pray for our brothers and sisters who are, are fighting uh, to defend something um, that uh, they believe in and that we enjoy living in. And uh, we thank you so much. And uh, we ask that regardless of where we stand, uh, that we can honor those willing to sacrifice um, so that we have the freedom to disagree. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Thank a, thank a veteran and thank any of those that are serving. If you're serving, currently serving, have served or know someone who served or who have uh, given their life uh, so that we can gather today. Thank you and thank them. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, go there. If you don't have a Bible, we put them on the ends. Uh, we put Bibles out every week so that you can have access to the Word of God. You don't want to take my word for it. You want to engage in truth. I don't want to be a church that tells you what to think. I want us to be a church, and we are a church that teaches you how to think. And uh, so you have access to the Word of God. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, put your name in that. That is, you just got a gift today. So um, you can put your name in it right in the margins. You know, bring a highlighter, get a Bible highlighter, whatever, whatever it is, and let us help you engage with that truth so that you have that uh, in your life. And you're not just saying, well, that's what Pastor Matt said, um, because I will let you down. Um, but you can say, this is what the Word of God tells me. And you have truth. You have the ultimate measuring stick. It's called the cannon, by the way. A cannon was a measuring stick in, in the Old Testament times. It was a straight rod. So when you hear the Scripture referred to as the holy cannon, it's level. It is on the level. It is without bend. So um, Scripture is without bend. It's the inspired Word of God. And you have access to it. Yes. Um, may, um, Matthew 22. We uh, spent last week looking at some questions that were asked of Jesus to trap him. And uh, we're going to continue that this week because I told you I had pity on you last week because there's no way I could get through all of that in one weekend. So we did two weekends and we're going to look at the second uh, two questions that are asked. The first one is asked by a lawyer. Um, and the, the, the last question is asked by Jesus. And I want us to really kind of engage with this because... Jesus is not just desiring to give us answers. He is desiring revelation. Uh, answers are not transformational. Revelation is transformational. And so we're going get, to get into that. Um, and let me just say, we're going to talk about some things here. And the, the best example of, of this first 
part of the teaching. I was, I, I was almost in tears this, this week. Um, on Tuesday night, you know, we had a, some storms come through. And uh, Heather and I are in Grapevine. One of the ministries we support is Kids Stand, and they were having their vision showcase. And, and uh, they had asked me to speak at that, and I'm, I'm sharing some of that. And uh, tornado sirens start going off, and the fire marshal gets everybody out of the auditorium. You know, this is a kid's thing, okay? Kids are freaking out. You know, all of the guys backstage, what are we doing? Opening the door. Hey, what's that look like? You know, <laughs> I see the hailstones. I'm thinking, my car, you know, and then I start thinking, my house, you know, <laughs> my roof, my windows, and we're stuck all the way in Grapevine. And uh, I, after that, you know, it was just a fiasco of a night. And on the way home, I just started calling people in different pockets of town where I knew our people were, you know, because the reports I'm getting, I'm sitting backstage, I've got my phone, the, way, the radar does not have up to the minute, I'm making calls in between speaking things and trying to usher people in from one room to another, we move sounds, I mean, it was crazy, and I, I'm praying for our church, I'm praying for all of you, and I start kind of making some calls to different pockets and neighborhoods, you know, to find out if everyone's okay, and and uh, everyone was. We had some people sustain some hail damage. Insurance adjusters have come in. But here's one thing I love about our church. And it, 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 all, it just, it, it kind of, it, it got me, you know. Every guy and every girl I talked to that said, you know, we didn't have any damage. But if you hear somebody who has, call me and we're there. And I love that. That is love in action. You know, it's, that's not just us sitting in this room talking about it. But on a stormy night, us calling and saying, you okay? Yeah, but if somebody's not, let me know because we'll be there. And, and I love that. That is love in action. That is the kingdom of God doing what we're supposed to do. And so thank you for that, that culture and that environment. And that really kind of is, I wanted to put that out front, you know, instead of tying it up in, a, in the point. I just want to use that to say thank you for being so awesome to, to the people around you. So let's get into this. Um, we're going to look at the first one. This is kind of an ethical question that's brought to Jesus. Remember, the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, had come and asked a question about taxes, and uh, Jesus shut them down. Um, the Sadducees asked a question about a resurrection. I got major props from uh, Creek Kids last week because I taught you the Sadducee thing. The Sadducees believed there was no resurrection, so they were sad, you see. And so Met, or, uh, Creek Kids was giving me major props on that. And t- uh, Pastor Tammy was like, yes, I think I'm going to get one of those little cards with our kids' memory verses on it and start. We'll teach that in here too. Um, which, by the way, your kids get those little cards that has their, their memory verse and it has information on that. And, you know, kids love cards. And so um, ask your kids about that from Creek Kids. It's, it's quite good. And so uh, Jesus shuts them down. Uh, and so they're asking questions to trap Jesus. They're not asking questions of God to find revelation. They're asking questions to trap him, to get their way. And this continues. And so what happens is an attorney, a lawyer, he's a scribe, He's an expert in the law. I don't know if he was the Old Testament hammer, you know. I'll fight for you. But, um, you know, <sighs> sorry, honey. I, I felt the look on that. There's just some things that hit the hard drive and you can't ever get them away, you know. It's like the one song that you always go back to and it just, it can't. I mean, it just, it's just there. It comes out at the weirdest time. So, anyway. 
All right, so the, this uh, scribe, this lawyer, um, this expert in the law is going to be asking Jesus this first question. This is verse 34 in chapter 22. Uh, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Let me stop there and let's, let's understand what the situation is. This is not a new question. This was not, let's go to a lawyer and he'll find the exact right question to put Jesus in the corner. He is an expert in Old Testament law, or for them it was law. Um, and they, this is not a new argument. This is not a new question. This had been debated for centuries. The, the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes, the, the, the attorneys, the lawyers had had many conversations about what the greatest commandment was. At this point, the Pharisees and the teachers and scribes had documented 613 commandments from the law. And they had broken those down into 248 positive and 365 negative. Basically, from there, they they took them and separated them further into what they called the major and the minor. And they would say, let's focus on the major things and the minor things we can kind of skirt to the side. And so the, the goal was, how do we find and how do we debate what the greatest commandment is? Because if we can figure out what that absolute one that God says, this above else, then we'll follow that one, we'll get God's favor, and we can live our life the way we want to. Sound familiar? We haven't progressed too much as a society, have we? We, it, that's the religion, and we've kind of carried it on, you know? And so the question that they're asking Jesus is, what is the greatest commandment? But really, what they're asking is, Jesus, how do I stack the deck in my favor? How do I find the one that I have to keep, and then I can live the rest of my life the way I want to? And and we tend to justify that today. It's It's What Scripture says, there is no small sin. Sin is sin. Sin separates us from God. And Jesus is getting ready to smack him here. We tend to get in this mode because we have those pet sins. I call them pet sins. Um, They're not cute in any way. I mean, it's it's like having an alligator as a pet, and you decide, hey, I want to sleep with the alligator in the bed. Okay, there's nothing cute about that. Snakes. There's nothing cute about snakes, okay? This is not a cute, cuddly pet. It is not your pillow pet. It is, it, is, it, it is vile. But we tend to, to soften it. But this, is, this, this doesn't hurt anybody. This is fine. It, 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 yes, it's something I struggle with. It's my addiction. It's just one website. It's just, it, I do this in the privacy of my home. It doesn't hurt anybody. Or this is just something I hold on to. This is just a tendency that I have, but it's not causing any damage. That is a lie that the enemy has gotten you sold into. And what happens is that sin, and what James says, um, sin is going to give birth to death. And so what will happen is when you least expect it, you're going to find yourself so consumed by your pet sin that you'll find that you're the pet. And that sin owns you. And you've become the subservient, and that sin is the master. And there is no small sin. We cannot live our life feeding our sin nature and expect to be holy. The Apostle Paul says there's two natures at work here. There is the sin nature, and then there's there's this holy nature that God desires us to have. That's the transformation. That's the righteousness that God gives us. And we cannot expect to feed both. If you you put two dogs in a fight, do you know which one's going to win? The one you feed the most, because he's going to be stronger. 
And so we can't get in this trap and this lie that we can sustain our sin because it doesn't hurt anybody. And we like to put the major and the minors. Yeah, I, I may lie a little bit, but I haven't killed anybody. You know, we, we, tend to, we tend to try to weigh it out like this. The Pharisees were doing the same thing. It's because we have this selfish desire as our sin nature to live life how we want but still get the benefit of God's relationship. And God says, I, I don't play that way. And so the Pharisees, the scribes, are trying to figure out how do we stack this in our favor? How do we get God in our pocket and still live selfishly? And Jesus is getting ready to just, uh, what he does, he takes over. He says, I'm not going to play this game. You're asking me the question. I'm going to give you the answer, and you have to wrestle with the reality of what this answer means in your life. And by the way, James 2 says that if anyone keeps the law and breaks a part of it, he's guilty of breaking the whole thing. And so that's where religion tries to get us in this mode. I want us to understand that Jesus is not about religion. He's about a relationship. It's Mm -hmm. grace. It's a holy God. He is the only reason. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Scripture tells us that the the law is but a shadow of the one to come. See, Jesus is the one casting the shadow. I would rather, I love Heather, and she's got a beautiful shadow when she casts a shadow, but I'd rather be staring at her than the shadow. Don't get caught up in the legalistic side of what religion tries to push you in. Focus on Jesus, and this is what's going to happen. He answers them this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What he's talking about is he's giving this revelation of you're trying to follow a list of rules. I'm telling you that you have to have love. I said this last week. We cannot legislate certain things in our life. We cannot legislate compassion. We cannot legislate forgiveness. We cannot legislate love. Love has to come from something deeper than a law. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that love is going to come through God. He's saying you've got to love God with everything you've got, with all of your guts. Everything within you has to love God, your heart, your soul, your mind. Everything, yes, that includes possessions. That means giving God everything. That includes the giftings and abilities that God has created you with. Give those back to God. Love God with how you live your life. Love God with how you use the things in your life. God has given us possessions. Let's use them for a holy way. God has given us desires and abilities and holy uh, aptitudes. Let's use them to glorify God. Let's love God with everything we've got. And that's, that's the first and foremost. And that he's using um, Deuteronomy 6.5 when he's saying this. Now understand, he's quoting these things from what's called the Shema. Um, the Shema was the spoken or oral word that would be given often to the Jews. And so for him to say this, remember, Matthew is a Jew writing to a Jewish audience. So they're asking this question and Jesus is quoting what they know to be true. And he's connecting these dots to say, you're looking for commandments and thou shalt nots and thou shalt do's. You need to understand love is the theme through this. Love God with everything you've got. It's kind of like playing poker, and you just take those chips and slide them all in. You say, God, I'm all in. Everything I got. And we have a tendency, but I'm going to hold this one chip back just in case God doesn't come through. Uh, I've been there. And honestly, it it can destroy you. (laughs) Because you're saying, God, I'm giving you everything but this. He's saying, love God with everything you've got. 
And, and loving God is not just having good feelings about him. Loving God involves the will and the heart. You see, you can, you can sit at dinner and you can look at other couples around the restaurant. Guys, if you're not dating your wife, date your wife. You know, go old school on it. Call her up. Hey, can I pick you up at 7? Leave early and come and pick her up at 7. Date your wife. But you can look around the restaurant and you can see the couples that are in love. Or you can see the couples that have good feelings for each other. They tolerate each other. But when you see that couple, and they may just be sitting there and the whole world is just out, and they are focused in, and they're, they're locked in the conversation, and you can just see that love. My, my sister-in-law and, and brother had their baby this week. And uh, when we were driving home from the hospital, my, my youngest daughter, Abby, she goes, you know, it's funny. Um, Kate had a glow when I could tell she was pregnant. She's like, but it's like after the baby was born, now Andrew has that glow. I don't know if love has a glow or what, if it's got some scent that gets put on. I don't, I don't understand. But you can tell when people are in love. And so God is saying, don't just have good feelings about me. You, you know the people that have the indifferent relationship with God. Yeah, he's good. He's a good guy. You know, he's there when I, you know, I pray for that promotion and it happens, so there must be something to prayer. Don't get into that trap. God, what's the words of this song? It's got to be um, falling in love, not a pledge of allegiance. And so you can't pledge your allegiance to God without being in love with him. And so let's love God with everything we've got. And then, then he goes on. And let me say this. When you love God, it leads you to do stuff. When I fell in love with Heather, I, I mean... He, the, the whole thing changed. The world changed, okay? I was willing to do stuff I'd never done before. I'm willing to like, you know, here's my car, here's my money, here's, you know, everything. I'm all in. When, when we love God, it leads us to action. It leads us uh, to do things. Um, so when, the, when there's love, there's service and obedience. When we love God, we're not just saying nice things about him. I love Heather, and so I have a desire to serve her. Not because she demands it, but because she's worthy of it, because I love her. I, I desire to be obedient to Heather because I love her. And so service and obedience comes out of love. You, you're not going to have holy service or holy obedience unless there's love. And so what Jesus is saying, all of these things that you're trying to put ahead of love, it's not going to happen. And then he goes on because we have a tendency to figure out what that one thing is and focus on that. You know, it's like, okay, all I got to do is love God with everything I got. I can say it. I, I can do that. And then we tend to isolate. Churches are full of people who love God but don't love anyone else. You know, they can, they can sit there and be like, well, I got Jesus in my heart and I'm going to sit here until he comes back. I love God. And then they get out in the parking lot and they're flipping you off before you get out of the parking lot. <laughs> I've been to church. I know how y'all roll. Or maybe they get to 820 because they're like, oh, wait. You know, or, or they're ch- checking to see if there's a Marine Creek sticker on the back of the car before they lay on the horn. Because I may not love you, but I don't want to be embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? But we have a tendency to do that. And this is where God just says, you know, let me take it a step further. And Jesus says, it's not just loving God with everything you got. Let me give you some Leviticus on you. It's loving your neighbor as yourself, which means that love 
has to be focused and it overflows. Our focus of love is on God and it gives us an ability to love ourselves and to love other people around us. Now, I, I really believe that uh, a lot of people in our society have a hard time with loving themselves because uh, we've gotten in this mode where we have this idea of how we should be and we look in the mirror and we see who we hope to be not who God sees. Now, I understand when I look in the mirror, I'm, I'm no different. I mean, I've got hair in places I wish I didn't have hair. I've got, you know, I've got extra padding in places I wish I didn't have extra padding. You know, I don't have a chiseled six-pack of abs. Well, if I do, you, I won't ever see them. But, you know, but I have to understand that God loves me, that I've got to have a healthy love of myself. On the flip side, I think some people don't have an ability to love themselves. I think some people have too much love for themselves. You know, I, I've hung out with the people. They're, most of them are at my gym that do have the six-pack abs. That's why I don't like to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they're like, look at that. You know, they're not lifting weights. They're standing in front of the mirror going, it's a healthy balance here, okay? It's like... You don't love yourself enough. You got way too much love for yourself. I mean, he's dating himself, okay? He's like, I take myself to be my own husband. And, you know, I'm getting, getting off here. But I think the only way we can have a healthy love for self and a healthy love for others is to have a holy love of God. And it's for us to see ourselves that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That when he looks at us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He, he loves us. And I think we miss that. I think we struggle with our belief in God. But let me remind you that God believes in you. And he created you. You have purpose. God doesn't make junk. You may not like what you see in the mirror, but God says, I love you. And the goal when we look in the mirror is to say, that's Jesus. And when other people look at us and when we look at other people, that's Jesus. How do we reflect the love of God into the world around us? By loving God and loving ourselves and loving others in a healthy, holy, balanced way. And I think that begins to be transformational. And Jesus said in verse 40, he said, all of the commandments hang on this. If you break down the Ten Commandments, the first five and the last five, one through five and six through ten, one through five, deal with, deal with our relationship with God. Love God with everything you got. You don't have to worry about, about missing the first five. And then the six through ten is dealing with relationships with other people. Okay, love God with everything you got. One through five is taken care of. And then your relationship, love your neighbors yourself. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet. <laughs> the, the adultery, it's not going to be there because you won't want to do anything that harms your neighbor. When you have a holy love for God, you're not going to put other gods before him. You're going to set time out to worship him. You're going to have a holy relationship with God and the people around you. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. You're trying to follow the rules. Fall in love. And slide everything on the table, all in. And that love is going to allow you to follow the rules. Quit focusing on the rules. Focus on loving me. And Jesus is standing before him. And what I love in, in Mark chapter 12, this is a, a synoptic gospel. And what happens is in your notes, 
when I put the study scriptures at the bottom, if it appears in another gospel, Matthew's a Jewish guy writing to the Jews, Mark is writing a different perspective. I've explained it. It's like camera angles on a different scene. When guys, we, when we watch a movie, when we see it blow up, we want to see it blow up from different angles. You know what I mean? And we're like, ah, oh. it's just some explosions mesmerize the man's mind. And Mark is writing from a different perspective, and he shares some information about what's going on. Let me read this. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 12. It's uh, verse 32. Uh, it says this, After Jesus answered the scribe, the teacher, he said, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, not all Pharisees are hypocrites. We like to pick on the Pharisees because... I think because I tend to find myself associating with them more than I do Jesus. And so I have to pick on them because I'm really picking on me. But this man, what Jesus said struck his heart. You see, this man found some revelation. He didn't just find an answer. That, that's what revelation is, is when the answer penetrates the heart. When it gets to the core when it gets inside, when it causes you to kind of get, I, I can't just accept this answer. I've got to wrestle with this. I need to know some more. And I think he's really understanding what Jesus kind of attacked the Pharisees with when he says, if you had read the scriptures, you would understand this, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This man is connecting some dots here. The revelation of God is opening some eyes. And that's what we desire. That's the revelation of of God, that when we love God with everything we've got, we love our neighbors, ourselves, we will see transformation. We will begin to love the people we go to work with. There was one teacher I was listening to the other day that went to Venezuela to teach to a group of people. His host said, tell me what you're going to teach. You know, I'd like to know just to keep you from getting in trouble and looking like an idiot because, you know, uh, you may say something in another culture that means something completely different. And so he said, let me, let me just help you. What are you teaching about? What are you talking about? He goes, well, I'm going to talk about loving your neighbors yourself and, and how uh, we can love the, our neighbors ourselves in our home and how we look at people in our workplace differently, how we look at people in our schools differently and our communities and our neighborhoods and all of the places we do life, we need to understand that they're our neighbor and we have a responsibility to love them. And his host said, let me, let me help you here. Um, in America, that may be the case. But here, there's no compartmentalization. The people we live with are the people we work with, are the people we go to school with, are the people we live with, are the people we do life with. That's the same group. In America, we tend to compartmentalize. And what Jesus is saying is, let's break this down you know, when we have a holy love for God, it gives us an ability to holy love all of the people. And we've got to get better about breaking this down in society where we don't compartmentalize, where we don't make determinations of, well, um, I can love these people because I go to work with them. Or I have to love these people because I work with them. But I don't love these people. Quit making those determinations. Here's the truth. Jesus answered us, what is the greatest commandment? It is love. Love God with all you've got. Love your neighbors yourself. If you need help on who your neighbor is, Jesus told a great story about the Samaritan. 
you know what? We are to love people and reflect that love to people. The um, Pharisees, after they heard this, they stopped, at, stopped pushing this point and stopped asking questions. I think because the Pharisees saw this man starting to reach out to, to Jesus, and they thought, wait a second, if this man turns in front of this crowd, we could have a real situation. So they, they stopped. They backed off. And when they backed off, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question now. And then you're like, oh, great. You, know, you ever play the game, well, let me ask you a question? Okay, but I get to ask you one. You ever do that with your teacher? And you know the teacher's going to win because they're going to ask you something that you're just, you know, and not just you're going to win, you're gonna, you, you have a very high potential of looking stupid in front of your classmates. Or at least that's what happened to me, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. While the Pharisees were gathered together, this is verse 41, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. This is a, a, an indirect approach to what Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 15. He was with his disciples and he said, who do you say I am? And, and he's asking his disciples straight up, what do you think about me? What do you say about me? And, and he's, they, these disciples had walked with Jesus. I think they had seen his heart. They understood what was going on. Well, at times they understood what was going on. Jesus knew he had to take an indirect approach. They had asked him some questions to try to trap him. Now he's going to ask them a question to try to reveal more of who he is to them. I love that. Even in the midst of people trying to trap Jesus, he's still desiring for people to see him for who he really is. And he says, what about you? Who do you think the Christ is or the Messiah is? Because, see, the Jews were eagerly awaiting this Messiah. They were an oppressed people. They had an idea of what the Messiah was going to do. So they said, whose son is he? And they said, well, it's David's son. Everybody knows that. And so Jesus goes on to challenge them. This is from Psalm, uh, what he quotes is Psalm 110.1, which every Orthodox Jew would understand and understands at this point to the Messiah. He said, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies underneath your feet. That's kind of like, I said to myself, self. That's kind of what David is saying here. How did David say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand? If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any questions. What Jesus is trying to get them to is a revelation of who Jesus is. To see Jesus for who he really is. You see, there was a conflicted view of the Messiah in this time. I think we have a conflicted view of the Messiah now, too. But the the conflicted view was this Messiah is going to be a reigning monarch. He's going to come in and overthrow the government. He's going to free us. We will have no religious or no no political oppression. We'll have religious freedom and all of this. And he's going to sit on the throne. We will praise him and we will have this reigning monarch who is the Messiah. And then other people thought, well, no, we're going to have, he's going to have to suffer. There's going to be a suffering servant. And so they thought the Messiah was going to come to serve and to suffer. And some believed that there was two messiahs somewhere mixed up in all of this, that one's the monarch and one's the servant. And what Jesus is trying to say is, I am he that you have been waiting for. I mean, when David said, the Lord said to my Lord, when you translate that, you get into translations of Hebrew like Adonai and Yahweh. 
And only the Messiah was going to be at a place where he could sit beside Yahweh. And so they understood this to be messianic language. If, if the Pharisees had answered this honestly and correctly, they would have to acknowledge the Lordship and Messiah of Jesus. And what he's saying is, is David and the Lord, the suffering servant will be born of man. That as man, I am David's descendant. I am David's son. But as God, as divine, I am Lord. And I think this conflicted view of Jesus kind of messes with us today. Let me help you understand this. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is divine and he is man. All of the power and glory of God contained in human flesh. And people had a hard time understanding this. So he is Messiah. And, and the Pharisees were so hard in their heart that they, could, they refused and even failed to see. And what Jesus is, is saying to them, he's, he's posing a theological question, but in reality, he's kind of coming in under the, the radar here to face, have them face the most important personal question they will ever face. And it's the one we face. It's what Jesus said to his disciples. Who do you say I am? What do you say about Jesus? I mean, history does not dispute that he was alive. History does not dispute that this man Jesus was killed. There's even historical reports that he was alive after his crucifixion. Uh, so there, some people say he's a good teacher. He's a good man. He's a good role model. He's, he's, a, he's just somebody out there that someone has idolized and, and just taught through the centuries. Or what do you say? I can tell you what I say. He is my Lord and Savior. He was the sacrifice. He is fully God, fully man. He walked a perfect life. He walked the road to Calvary. He was laid in a tomb. The power of the Holy Spirit brought him out of the tomb. And for that, he is the Lord of my life. I've placed my faith in that. I've placed my eternity in that. That's what I say about Jesus. Jesus is Lord and my God. And the most important question is not what is the greatest commandment, what, what, what about all of these other things, God? It's what do we say about Jesus? Because if he is not our Lord and our God, then we have no place to find any revelation of any other thing we desire to ask God. That is the most important question. And he faced this to the Pharisees. He had to put this in the form of a theological question to get their eyes to open. It's what you read in Scripture where it says, let him who has ears hear. Let him who has eyes see. They refuse to see, they refuse to hear. Had they humbled themselves, I think it would have been absolutely transformational, much like the, the lawyer, the scribe who asked the question, where he says, you know what? Love is more important than sacrifice. But selfish pride, ambition, position, politics, religion, the list can go on and on. Harden the Pharisees' heart, not just so they could not see the truth, they would not see the truth. And I, I really think we can examine the evidence of Jesus defensively and miss the truth, or we can examine it honestly and humbly and we can discover the truth believe and be saved that is God's desire 
is that when we are confronted with truth, when we ask the questions, that we seek revelation, that we spend time in his word saying, God, reveal more of you to me. It's just like what we're seeing is show me your heart, show me your way, show me your glory. It is here. It is the life that comes off of these pages, the living, breathing, inspired word of God. He says, get in there. I can show you. I can show you things that that will blow your mind. I will open revelations to you that you have no idea about, but you've got to be willing to examine it honestly and humbly. Get your pride out of the way so we can get down to business. And I'm telling you, I'm probably preaching to Matt right now because God has to smack me so much. And my biggest prayer is, God, help me to be humble. And so I hope that we can be humble together, that we can love God. Here's your reflection. is through this truth is how I love others is a reflection of how I love God. My humility to approach truth is showing my love, not just respect, but love for God. I think love comes before respect. When I love, I respect. I can respect without love. And I'm respecting position. I'm not respecting a person. And so love is a reflection. How I love others is a reflection of how I love God. Just just look at it around you. Turn your rearview mirror to your face and watch yourself in traffic. How I love others is a reflection of how I'm loving God. You know, instead of us sitting around and trying to judge how other people love God, let's do this in the mirror. And let's be humble and honest about this. Because you see, grace leads us to love. Love leads us to action. And then we act in grace. Do you see that cycle there? It's like God shed his grace for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. He gave us. He showed us that grace. And that, that grace leads us into a love of Jesus. Not for what he's done, but who he is. He is God. He is Lord, my Savior, my God. And then that leads us to act in grace. And that love, it becomes a cycle. And God is using us by how we love God with everything we've got and love our neighbors, ourselves, to change the world. And it can happen. I believe it can happen. And But let us just not get so hardened by tradition and position and pride that we miss it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. Father, even when we cannot love ourselves or love others, you love us. And so, God, this morning, give us just a return to holy love. Give us a a recentering and a refocusing on the love that you give us in our life. Our ability to love comes from you. You are love. So let us focus on you, not just on a list of do's and don'ts and can and can'ts, but God, let us focus on love. Let love drive our attitude. Help us. Let love drive our motive. Let love drive our actions. God, give us an ability to love you in a holy way, to love others and ourselves in a holy way. God, if there's anyone here, I, 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 don't, I don't know where all of us are spiritually. 
But if there's anyone in here who does not have that connection with you, that they don't have that connected love with you, that they've not let that grace transform them. Maybe there's just been a lot of questions and as answers have come, they've just been answers. And this morning, maybe through your Holy Spirit, God, that those answers begin to penetrate the heart. They move to the core and something is different. And so as we're all confronted this morning with the question, Jesus, of who do we say you are? I pray that you give us the courage and in the quietness and the depths of our soul and our being to cry out and say, you are my Lord and my God. Father, give us the ability through transformed hearts and lives by putting you as our Lord and our God and loving you, not because of your gifts, but because of who you are. That you are a creator. That you love us. You believe in your kids just as much as as sometimes we wrestle with our belief in you. We need to understand you believe in us. Thank you, Jesus. Give us the ability that only comes from you to love ourselves in a healthy way and to love the people around us in a healthy way. To have compassion, to have mercy and grace in the way that you do for us. Jesus, fix our eyes, open our eyes so that we see ourselves the way you do. We remain humble and see others the way you see them. That it's not just a person. It is someone that you fearfully and wonderfully made, that you knit together in their mother's womb, and that you gave your life. Help us to be a beautiful reflection of the gospel, and a beautiful reflection of your love, because the gospel is love, that you love us so much. You gave your life and that you were raised from the dead to defeat that enemy and death and sin. Give us freedom this morning. Give us the freedom that goes beyond a country's borders and beyond a military might. Give us the freedom that comes through the blood of Jesus. We love you so much. It is in your most precious and holy name we pray.